Welcome back to the Babylon Podcast. I am Tim Callender. I'm Jeremy Hardy. And I am Agent Six, uh, once again emerging from Edmund from Greenville's subconscious. <laughs> well, thank you for Agent Six for making this uh, uh, thoroughly expected appearance, giving our topic tip for tonight. Uh, Summer is not with us. She is whipping, um, whipping websites into submission. I think the websites are thoroughly enjoying it. Um, however, um, before we get into it, I think we should make mention that people may or may not know, and it's apropos for the topic of tonight, Walter Koenig finally got his star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Yes, indeed. Yay! Um, we will put links up to that, to that up on the website. Um, there's stuff up on YouTube. I saw, watched an edited version, and uh, saw J. Michael Straczynski's remarks, what they had before they kind of edited it down for time. And when he gets up to the podium, he says, it's about goddamn time. And then <laughs> went on to talk about, um, you know, how... Uh, one of the reasons Star Trek came alive was the great acting, you know, Walter included, and of course, um, his work as Bester on Babylon 5, how he could, in one line, be funny and frightening and human and monstrous all at the same time. Um, and like I said, the, the, those remarks were cut short, so I'll have to find a, a longer version. But it was it was really... Great to see Walter finally get recognition for you know the work that he's done over the years. Yeah, far too long. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for for those who don't know, I mean, he was the last of the original seven original series cast members to get a star, and by a by a wide margin. And uh, so it was it was great for it to finally happen. And I also love the whole thing of where they, you know, Planet Expo put together basically that whole sort of mini Walter Con over the weekend, um, where it wasn't just the, the ceremony on Monday, but uh, all over Saturday and Sunday there were panels and screenings of... Uh, you know his favorite episodes and movies and things, and uh, you know so there was there was there was a, a a whole long celebration. Right, exactly. And you know, lest we forget, he also um, has written comics. Um, and in fact, one of the things that Straczynski says in his remarks is that Walter's a comic fan, just like. You know Straczynski is, and he's a nerd just like me, and just like everybody else here at this in the room. And there's a pause, you know, there's a cheering, and there's a pause, and and JMS says the war is over, we won. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so it's. I mean, like you said, it was a long time coming. We're very, very happy for Mr. Koenig. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, there was one thing that did amuse me, though, because, of course, most of the coverage is focusing on, uh, on the Trek past and, uh, you know, yep. and the, the, the other, you know, the, the other cast members showing up. And, uh, you know, but I liked in uh, his interview with the Hollard reporter, he was specifically mentioning, you know, that Joe was going to be there. And uh, then there was a, a hilarious thing, the, the Daily Mail write up of it. 
makes one mention as a caption under one of the one of the photos, but then mentions that he also starred in Babylon Four. <laughs> <laughs> of course. You know, and so far as I know, the psychor didn't have anything to do with that. So. <laughs> no, that was a different line. <laughs> Babylon four. Nice. Mm-hmm. Nice. Oh Unless God, there's something we just don't know. <laughs> yeah. But uh, but also the fact of that being in the Daily Mail, where you know, because there there is a you know a, a sizable Babylon Five fan contingent in England, you know, if anything yes. during the original run, I mean, it got you know you know better following in press over there than it did here. So. Well, it's it's kind of you know on a similar <laughs> tack, the the little introduction for Straczynski as a speaker by whoever is the master of ceremonies makes mention that uh, Straczynski as a screenwriter wrote um, Changeling for which in England he was nominated for Breast Original Screenplay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. The guy catches himself and he cries to best, but it was just like, okay. <laughs> Boy, that's... <laughs> And here uh, I just thought they were going to get after wrong, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, so good news there. Very very good news there. What else? What else is going on? I I was in um, Baltimore last weekend for the Baltimore Comic Con. East Coasters especially, if you get a chance to go next year, it's a great time. I was helping a friend of mine. Mark with Black Dog Comics and Collectibles, Ding, um, work his booth. So I didn't get to see a whole lot, but it was plenty of people walking by. Um, I did talk with a person who is doing a uh, Star Trek podcast. And unfortunately, I don't have his information in front of me, so I have to get that posted. And I mentioned that, of course, I do the Babylon podcast. He goes, you know what? I keep running into all these people who wish there was more B5 stuff out there. It's like... Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, exactly. It is it is an untapped fan base. Ugh. But we've beaten that horse to a pulp. Yes, we have. So and the Warner Brothers aren't interested. <laughs> yeah, well if it does I guess if it doesn't have the word that begins with Batman, um <laughs> May not be interested. I don't know. Anyways, anything else, guys? Uh, summer's got uh, nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely played. All right. I was going to say, let's take a quick break. And then when we come back, we will delve into the Psychor trilogy. So, you're still hanging on to that tiny thread of denial, trying to convince yourself that sci-fi has nothing whatsoever to do with your life. Well, you better think again, Sparky. That tiny cell phone has no basis in Starfleet communicators. Those hands-free earpieces now used by virtually everybody didn't come down from the ear of Lieutenant Uhura. 
And that cute little Rumba vacuum cleaner that you use far too infrequently wasn't hijacked off an Imperial Star Cruiser. Nah, not a chance. Because if it were true, then you would be forced to turn on that Flash Gordon-inspired box on your desk called a computer and listen to SliceofSciFi.com, the Bexon satellite radio show that will turn your sci-fi into reality. We are back to do the deep geeking on the Psychor trilogy by Greg Keyes. Consists of three books. The first is Dark Genesis: The Birth of the Psychor. The second is Deadly Relations. Uh, Deadly Relations. Thank you, Edmund. I'm sorry. Deadly Relations: The um, The Rise of Alfred Bester and Final Reckoning. The, the fate of Bester. fate of Bester, yes, by J. Gregory Keyes. Um, Edmund, why don't you start off giving us a quick synopsis? Okay. Um, yeah, the one of the interesting things about this trilogy compared to the other two is uh, there's sort of this, these distinct shifts from book to book. Um, Dark Genesis is basically telling us the the full sweeping story of the birth of tele, telepaths on the planet um you know how they suddenly start popping up uh how the government reacts to them how the t- society reacts to them and then the telepaths start reacting to the reaction um and trying to figure out uh how they fit in and where they fit in um, and uh, so sort of the, the, the bulk of the story is um, the, on the political side, um, basically the, you have Lee Crawford as the senator who kind of takes the telepaths on as his cause and uh, um, starts the political machinations in terms of how to um, catalog them and control them and corral them, which winds up leading to the um, birth of the Psycor. Right. Um, at the same time, I mean, you're also because I'm mean, there's sort of the the the, du- the dual threads which are running throughout of the sort of the the official reaction, you know, the official reaction of the the leading to Psycor, and then the rebel movements percolating underneath um, as uh, you know, telepaths start real- realizing, yes, a they're, yes, they're a minority, yes, lots of people don't like them, but you know, they also have uh, these powers that they can actually use and <laughs> take advantage of people with. Um, and uh, so we have, you know, they, there's um, basically following, you know, sort of focusing in eventually on cer- certain rebel groups um, while Crawford is doing all of his political shenanigans um, leading to the, the birth of the Psychor and the introduction of uh, Mr. Bassett, the first head of the Psychor, who it turns out is, of course, a 
telepath who is so powerful and uh, so well-trained at his mother's feet that uh, he's able to hide it from everybody. Um, right. Since, of course, there's, you know, there's the insistence that the head of the Psychor has to be a non-telepath. Um, and uh, so then, you know, there's the, 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 the rather in, intriguing dance of uh, Bassett build, building the Psychor um and you know and i mean certainly given his background i mean he's he's very closed off and uh you know but uh you know that's been his entire training is to you know be be very private very aloof very just straight to the point and getting the work done um until his uh bodyguard a certain natasha alexander uh-huh. uh managed Manages to get uh, under his defenses, and uh, he uh, has an you know has has an affair with her, from which a child emerges, um, and uh, who you know and and I mean this is you know if if anything there is one there is one thing about this series that I mean it, it, I mean it's I, I I like the way everything starts interlocking, but if you know I, I can see where some might have the criticism of you know no like you know the way everything sort of swirls around, you know gets I mean almost too literally incestuous and like focused in on just this you know one group of people, but uh, but but still the the. The way he does it, and obviously he's following JMS's outline, so you know the way JMS intended it. Um, right. You know, still I, I think still works overall because um, uh, Fiona winds up involved in the resistance, um, not knowing her provenance. And of course, I, w- I want to keep this from going too long, but uh, that's but, okay. Uh, well, she uh, she and the other leader of the underground have a child mm-hmm. and when that their um, underground is finally infiltrated and smashed the infant child is um, found by Vasset taken yep. to Psychor facilities and in a, a moment of I don't know how would you describe that he he there's this sort of a wink and a nod. Bassett writes mm-hmm. Alfred Bester on the child's yeah. records. Yeah, yeah, and, and and in a way, I mean, I mean, I, I really, I really like that. I mean, you know, because of you know, certainly when you first were watching Babylon Five, and you know, with all the all of JMS's little nods to sci-fi history, you know, the moment this telepath shows up and he's called Alfred Bester, and you're like, you know, oh yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, they, and they made that they made it very explicit right so the second book so the second book is is the rise of 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 alfred bester and it follows al from a young child in um in geneva in uh, in the psychor training facilities and the fact that he's smaller than the other teeps and he's picked on when they play uh blips and psychops he's always a blip but he begins to realize that he's more powerful than some of the other kids and starts using that to his advantage. You see that one of the things that sets Bester apart is that he has no knowledge of having a previous family. Many, many of the telepaths uh, already had some sort of family life awareness of their parents when they were brought into the um, 
the fold of the of the uh, Psycor. Um, and in fact, there's a young lady that uh, um, that Alfred falls in love with, and they date, and she kind of brings him to life. But when she decides that it's she wants to go rogue and wants Al to go. Uh, with her, he can't grasp why anybody would want to do that, and naturally, of course, alerts the authorities to her her plans. Um, and uh, doing the right thing leaves Al feeling rather empty. And as he goes through life and goes through training and starts to find his path, he really, even amongst telepaths, he's finding himself on the outside looking in. Um, and in fact, he agrees to start doing deathbed scans um, because, in many ways, he feels what has he got to lose. And certainly, as as many characters in the universe have noted, when you do a deathbed scan, some of you goes with it. And you know, some people note that you know that's kind of what's happening to Alfred Bester. Um, and that book ends just as Bester is leading his team to Babylon 5 to try to bring in Jason Ironheart. Right. Yeah, so um, uh, um, unlike the other series, it's like, no, they're very carefully stepping around. <laughs> right, the right. And then, and then the third book, Final Reckoning, takes place well after the telepath war. Might as well say, I, I hate to call him elderly, but he's certainly up in years. Uh, Bester has managed to stay one step ahead of everybody and their their ability to bring him to justice. In many ways, he is uh, fugitive number one. In an attempt to throw his pursuers, whoever they may be, off his track, he returns to Earth. You know, where's the last place you would look for him? You know, right under your nose. So he returns to Earth. He returns to Paris, where. As a as a young man, he attempted to apprehend a rogue telepath all on his own, unauthorized. Meets a restaurateur, a, a woman who is having problems with local thugs, and uh, in a rare moment of altruism, Bester stops the attack. A relationship begins to blossom, and uh, something of a romance. Um, however... Bester also suffers from a very rare disease, which is only affects telepaths, and he knows that if he starts looking for the medicine, they're going to instantly track down. You know, you have to basically register as a telepath to get the medicine. So he, of course, gets in touch with the local thugs to start trying to to steal from pharmacies to get what he needs. Things start to go wrong, as as it turns out, Michael Garibaldi and his bloodhounds start to close in. Bester uh, does what Bester does, and he cuts ties as best he can. He mind wipes the woman that he was with, um, but that's still not enough. He is eventually brought to justice. He dies in captivity the same day that um, John Sheridan disappears from the world. And that's it in a nutshell, but that is Mm -mm. only... (laughs) broad strokes oh absolutely Uh, yeah let me tell you real quick the story of how i started reading this because i uh, this this is one of the reasons that i i like this trilogy best of all um Mm -hmm. i was of all things heading toward to the vet to take a cat for an appointment and 
there's a used bookstore on the way. And I just it was just one of those things that's like, you know what, I'm just going to stop in here real quick because I know it's going to be a long wait at the vets for whatever was going on. And I popped in, and sure enough, there was Dark Genesis. And I had been avoiding all the, the novelizations and the tie-ins. You know, that from previous podcasts, you know that the first thing I tried to read was Voices, and that was just... Right. But man, I was so hungry for New Babylon 5 of any sort. And it's like, all right, fine. And it's used, so it's cheap. And I got it. And I read the whole thing in the day. And of course, went back and grabbed the other two books that somebody thoughtfully had left behind for me. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, one of the things that I find fascinating about the, uh, the first book is that it, there are no Babylon 5 characters in it. No. Yeah, I mean, there's just you know the yeah, the I mean the the the, ex- the extended you know relation, but yeah, but but even that of course isn't even really you know brought up at all. It's just you know no, that's just in there for the you know the 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 hardcore fans of you know like ah uh, uh, yes, Miss Alexander. <laughs> yes, oh yes, I know who that is supposed yeah. to be. And then, you know, and um, you know, and of course one of the interesting things that you know we we're touching on in the synopsis is, I mean, that's also the book where it's, you know, really made explicit about the Vorlon involvement in creating the telepaths. And, uh, one of the, I mean, one of the intriguing things to me was, you know, yes, we'd had the sort of Antarctica reference, you know, but then, I mean, that, that whole sequence of them actually go, you know, going to Venus and encountering the Vorlons, um, and uh, you know, and and you know, and 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 then the thing of the the Borlon leaving that little nugget in Natasha Alexander's mind of you know you or one of your ancestors will you know will come to our home world with, right took took a couple of generations to uh, take hold, but uh, right. of course did. But the Borlons um, are patient of nothing, patient of nothing else. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But but the, but the one thing I found I found fascinating about that the, the whole Vorlon development you know that you know, and them making you know actually coming forward is there had been the whole thing in that first book of where Vassett is basically yes building up the Psychor but at the same time building up the telepath uh, building up the rogues because he's not sure which path actually makes sense you know is in the best interest of the telepaths you know whether they should go with the government you know or if they should be splitting off on their own, right. and it's act, you know, and it's actually that that Vorlon involvement, that, you know, and the, and the discovery that you know, oh no, there's this these shadows out there that we need to, you know, that we're going to be crucial against. That then sort of turns them at the end to you know, no, we need to you know really get serious about this and you know and you know breed for you know maximum power and you know ma- you know make sure that you know we're, we're ready for this when it yeah comes. almost. Almost preparing themselves as a weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, right. The, the, so the fact that, that you know that is actually there, at, you know, at at the beginning, and then of course, you know, the, the the deep irony that you know, no, when they come, that you know, at least a a you know, a major, if not most of the psychor, you know, winds up getting subsumed into the whole Clark Shadow conspiracy. Right. You know, right. and you know, but you know, but lo and behold, who you know, who 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 is there to you know, help subvert that and uh, make telepaths available? In yeah, the end. So, yeah. I th- I think the other thing that 
that was really well done in this book is you got a good sense of a believable sense of how a society would react to something to a to a a, a, a an intrusion something like a, tele, a telepath would be intrusion is not the right mm-hmm. word but but it's it's a, it's it's a major shift and you know there are those who say well it's the next step forward in evolution we should embrace them they're still people and there are others like you know no they're reading our minds and got our deepest secret it does undermine the very fabric upon which our society is built upon which in many ways is based on trust and and in some ways based on lies you know there's mm-hmm. there's a whole societal fabric upon which white lies are told and and deceptions and and some would say necessary deceptions all that call, is called into question when a telepath arrives and i think that i think that keys did a great job in in capturing that you know there's a great scene with a the I guess it's Vasset when he's this young boy and they're being chased and he's talking with his mother and she tells him, you know, you have to keep this hidden way down deep inside. Yeah. You know, and you got a real, I, I think you got a good sense of what it would be like to be someone with, with those abilities. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, he, I, I thought he did a, a really good job with that. I mean, I mean, all throughout, I mean, it's, it's starting here, but, uh, right. um, no, but certainly, I mean, you know, I mean, we'll we'll get to the third book, but um, you know, yeah, I mean, but sort of from the the foundation here to then, you know, by by book three, where he's, you know, with what Bester's doing, where he he really starts getting into, you know, yeah, I mean, just how powerful and damaging a telepath can be, you know, when when they just want to cut loose. If there's any if there's any one deficiency to Dark Genesis is that I think it sometimes feels like you he could have written easily a second or or almost a third book and really expanded on some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it, you know, at times yeah, I mean, it feels it, kind it, of compressed. So yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I mean, if anything, I mean, in terms of the. The series. I mean, while while I I, I I like the structure, which I mean, over the the years I've thought about it. You know, sometimes a lot of it is like an inverted pyramid, where it's going from you know the broad and sweeping down to you know sort of the coming of age story, then down to just that what is basically like you know this very intimate like two to four hander at the end. Um, right. Yeah. And uh, you know you know where it's it, it's Bester and the restaurateur and you know it was sort of Garibaldi and you know and the ISA sort of circling around the outside you know I mean, although as we as as we were preparing for this I mean I also thought about yes you could also call it the seven circles of hell but uh, <laughs> <laughs> right as you're spiraling down but uh, um, right. but uh, with, with you mentioning that I mean if anything I think that's one thing where where the second book actually could have been. Sort of more of more of an amalgam. I mean, where where yes, you're getting the story of, you know, Bester's development, but he could have actually been still keeping more of that broader scope, and you know, and what's going on in the world outside, and you know, the, and the development of the Psychor, and you know, in in that period. But uh, right. you know, well, you know, while I understand them, them structuring it the way they did, you know, or JMS structuring it since. Again, it is his outlines. Right. Um, yep. 
no, yeah, and I, you know, I, I think there was an opportunity lost there, to, you know, to you know, to give us more of what's going on in Geneva with the rest of the government, and some people may have been slightly turned off by the first book because it was less specific Babylon Five, but you know, but I really loved getting all of that background about the society and you know, very then the political machinations and things. And uh, it would have been nice to have a, a little bit more of that in yeah. the second. Yeah. And it gives you a good sense of Babylon five as a bigger world than just a space station with particular individuals on it. You know, it, it does say more so than the other trilogies that there is a bigger history here. And and I thought that was that was really well done. Now to move on to strange relations, one of the things that I I thought was very very interesting, in a general sense with that book is I think Keys did a great job of bringing young Alfred Bester to life, of helping the reader understand how Bester became who he is, without necessarily making him sympathetic. Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the, it, 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 it's more the you know the explanation of okay, what, why is why is he this way rather than right you to the point. Yeah, right. And and while in some ways you feel sorry for for the young boy, you know, I, I know what it's like to be picked on, and you're always the you know have to play the villain, and you're last for the team, and all the rest like that. You know, it's it's just more than anybody. In the history of the Psy Corps, for Alfred Bester, the Corps is mother and the Corps is father. So he, he, he can't relate at all to anybody who thinks otherwise. He, there, there's uh, a section in the book where he is assigned a wife by the Corps, and it's clear that she doesn't love him and ends up having an affair. And, you know, of course, that's just another reason not to trust people as far as Alfred is concerned. Um, mm-hmm. But the other the other bit, and I'm curious to know your reaction to this, the other bit is that as Alfred becomes a psychop and he's chasing rogues, uh, one of the roses he, that he chases is the best friend to his mother, Fiona, um, right. who, who had a crush on her, but of course, you know, recognized that she was in love with with Matthew, Alfred's yeah. with Matthew, right? Yeah. And there's the scene where Bester's got him cornered, mm-hmm. and he opens up his mind. And says, "Oh my gosh, I know who you are! Right, you are the infant, and I promise to protect you. Know, I promised Fiona and Matthew that I would protect you, and I failed. And Bester doesn't want to believe it, um, right. despite the fact that you know his telepathic senses tell him otherwise." Um, and of course, he blasts the guy and just empties his PPG into him. You know, completely discharges it, and his left hand is is crushed into a ball. Right. Um, so that gives the origin to his useless hand. What did you make of that? How did how did you feel about that bit? Um. I didn't mind it. I mean, it, I mean, I mean, this is sort of part of what I was talking about, where it's like you know, where where everything sort of, you know, is swirls around very tightly in terms of some of the some of the plot elements in this. But um, it, you know, I it, you know, in, in 
in a way, certainly. I mean, ha- I mean, having or ha- having set that up, that you know, yeah, you know, Al- Alfred Bester, you know, is you know, is is the son of the two leaders of the resistance, um, you know, the two original leaders of the resistance. Um, I mean, that was kind, you know, kind of like Tolstoy's gun, where it had to come out. And I mean, what's what's always intrigued me is. You know, I, I, I mean, I thought it was a, actually, a, you know, a perfectly good explanation for the useless hand. But at the same time, I've heard Walter Koenig say that, you know, he, he has his version of it, but he's never actually divulged, divulged what it is. So, well, <laughs> at least for, as far for... as I know. You know, I, I would be intrigued to find out, you know... Did JMS know what Walter's version is and put it in, or is this just, you know, or, or even for that matter, I mean, we know the outlines, you know, weren't weren't absolutely specific. You know, was this coming from JMS or was this, you know, was this Greg Keyes's creation? But 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 as far as an, as an explanation, I mean, certainly the way he was setting everything up, it, it did make sense to me. Yeah, I I the, what I recall. From what Koenig has said about it, is he wanted to give the character a physical disability mm-hmm. to help make manifest his his uh, make visible his desire to over you know to overcompensate. You know, okay, right. I I don't have a hand that works. I just have to try harder. You know, but he's not a particularly nice guy about it. Um, I, I have to say that that while generally I don't, I, I really prefer like if there's a disability that a character has that it just happens and it doesn't have it isn't anything greater than what it is. Um, that scene was so emotionally charged, though. You know, as you say, there's this there's this interweaving and this coming around again aspect to the plot that I think. Uh, it worked really well, and then of course at the end of, of I'm skipping ahead here, but at the end of um, Final Reckoning, when Bester dies in his cell in Geneva, the hand relaxes and it opens. Um, yes, I, and I like that. I thought the, I thought you know it could have been handled in a real cheesy manner, and I think that that Keys did a good job making it not as silly as it could have been. I think I think he he granted it the kind of emotional impact that it needed to have yeah and and of course i mean that's also after i mean you know he stays alive just long enough to see you know the the unveiling of that statue sort of symbolizing the new psychor, right. you know the new psychor yep the new renamed psychor but um yeah you know but the fact that you know that, that it's the it's the photo of you know yes you know matthew and fiona and their young baby who was lost and nobody realizes became Alfred Bester. Right, right. <laughs> or, or, yeah. or, or those who know are, certainly aren't going to, you know. Yeah, they're not going to tell. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I, and I liked how um, in, in um, Strange Relations, as Bester's coming of age, you know, he's got this constant desire to prove himself. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, he goes to Paris tracking a, a blip, because mm-hmm. he thinks he can do it, you know he's proven that he's right. he's done well in his studies, yeah. but you know he f- finds out the hard way and almost costs him his life that book learning is not the same as real world experience, right? And especially for someone like him who really has no real world experience you know, of, of any sort, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's like no. I mean, he's he's never been out in the real world in any real sense, and yeah. learns that lesson quite quickly. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And as I mentioned before, you know, he had a, a, a teenage girlfriend, um, and you could see where she brings him to life almost against his will. You know, he's such a, you know, it, it's of, of all things, it reminded me of the way to Eden. In the mm-hmm. character of Chekhov and the character of um, uh, uh, Irina. Yes, yes and, there you go. And how she was a free flighty spirit and he was so proper and formal. You know, there is that yep. element in, in this section with Alfred Bester and, and, and the girl. She, she teases him with the fact, and I love this, because part of what, what happens in um, uh, Dark Genesis, it also briefly touches on First Contact for the human race, you know, meaning Centauri, and of course the whole galaxy opens up. Well, the young lady has um, Narn-spotted underwear that she can't wait to show him at the hotel room. I, to me, that was that was one of those Heinlein-esque moments where, in just one sentence, you get the whole. You could just see the fashions that have come out of first contact with alien races. Yeah. And how that yeah. you know, <laughs> it was a nice, a nice touch. I really like that. Yes. And of, and of course, again, when she decides, look, you know, because of course she remembers her mother and father and all that, and and she decides she wants to go rogue, and she wants Alfred to go with her because she loves him, and mm-hmm. they meet at a, a tree where they've had rendezvous, and of course. Alfred has, has notified the authorities, and they're waiting there. And she is almost not surprised. You know, there's a mm-hmm. there's a defeat in her voice. And I remember vividly, best you know, Bester being described as he's com- completely he doesn't even get why anybody would want to leave. Right. It's not even that she, he thinks that she was evil and wrong. You know the. And as we see the Bester in Babylon 5 saying, oh, they're just misguided and they need to be brought back to the fold and told why. Here, he's just like, it, it doesn't even occur to him why anybody would think otherwise. You know, and it's not brainwashing. It's just, it's just what he knows. Exactly. And one thing I, I, I did love about the way, the way everything was set up, uh, you know, was... You know, the fact that we aren't just getting the, the birth of the Psychor, we are getting the birth of the Rogue Movement as well, and seeing that, you know, no, this isn't just, you know, oh, the Psychor happened, and then people rebelled from the Psychor. It's like, no, from the very beginning, it was like, no, it was these two separate tracks of, you know, yes, we can, you know, we can either be telepaths and, you know, and band together in the, you know, sort of neo-fascist regimentation, you know, or we can create our own community in, you know, and yes, I mean, you know, in terms of the, you know, the, the way to Eden analogy of, you know, where we can just be off by ourselves and, um, you know, become our own family, you know, and of course, I mean, that's what winds up getting played out. I mean, you know, for, you know, as, as, as much as the fifth season telepath arc may annoy people, you know, it's like, no, I mean, you're seeing in the way he lays out the beginnings of it, you know, no, that's, you know, wh- where it was headed. <laughs> yeah. You know, right. You know, we, right. you know, we, 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 we just want our own space. We're not going to bother you. We just, you know, just let us, you know, let us live our lives. But the, the psychor way is not to let that happen. 
No, with you know, but with 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 now the you know the 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 added little incentive under there of you know yeah, and they, and they they don't want they don't want that to happen because they think you all need to be warriors in the Great War. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's exactly. not. It's not just that you know. No, we you know it's you know it's the outside authority who came in and said you know we have to keep keep you under control and uh, and oppressed and uh, this is the way we're going to do it. But, you know, no, it actually was coming from from within. Bassett got this revelation and said, "This is the way we have to do it." You know, so it's completely setting up those two sort of parallel parallel routes for the way the telepaths should live. Right from the start, yeah, yeah. And then we get to the end, uh, I, and I thought it was really interesting that they left off that that strange relations ends with Bester heading for Babylon Five because that, uh, unlike the other trilogies, which have elements that interweave with episodes from the series, this ends with yeah. Bester getting to to. Um, Deadly relations, excuse me, not strange relations. I've just been reminded. Oh, that, 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 that's all right. I'll, I'll, I'll forgive your telepath racism. <laughs> I, what do you expect from a mundane, after all? <laughs> Anyways, that it, it leaves off, and at no point in time does anything in the Psychor trilogy directly interact with events that are shown in the series. Because the next, the next novel, Final Reckoning, takes place a good 20, 25 years or so after the events in Babylon 5, after the telepath wars happened. And, just, and, just leaving the, the tantalizing little clues to try and infer, and there ain't much of them. Right, exactly. That's exactly right. And it is very tantalizing. It is, it's very... It's, it's a horrible tease that way. Uh, but we see Bester using all his tricks. At the beginning of the novel, he's being tracked by two telepaths, and of course he uses his P-12 ability to trick them and kill them. Um, he implants in another person's brain on a planet that he's heading for a different planet, and of course he heads for Earth. Yeah, because he knows, you know, he's, he's like, okay, they're getting closer. I need to, I need to pick up, and and move again. I, you know, and the, and here's what I really loved about this this final book, um, more than any other of the novels and the novelizations. I really could hear Alfred Bester's voice in how Keys wrote him in Final Reckoning. You know that that kind of supercilious tone when he's talking with people that he clearly believes are inferior to him. The gendarme, who's Simone, I believe, is if I can remember right, is the name of the restaurateur. I don't have the books in front of me here. And there's there's a local, a beat cop, who is kind of sweet on her, um, recognizes that she's falling for Bester, doesn't trust him, but also kind of recognizes that in a strange way, he is good for her. So it's like, well, I'm not going to get in the way, but I'm going to keep my eye on you. Bester can't can't escape his past, and that's, you know, the, re- resorting to basically using local thieves to get what he needs to stay alive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was you one know, thing I found fascinating about about the way way he laid this out is that you know, even though I mean, no, I mean, there is this 
you know, yes, rather sweet love story, you know, that no, you know, in the hands of other authors, you know, might have gotten you feeling a little, a little sympathetic, you know, a little, you know, you know, conflicted. But at the same time, I mean, you know, because as you say, you got the voice so right for the rest of it in terms of, you know, the way, the way he was approaching the situation, the way he was dealing with everybody, even though there is, you know, that, you know, there is a, a, you know, a, a little bit of, you know, sort of conflict where, you know, it's like, you know, you kind of wish, you know, you know, no, he, he could make this work at the same time. You're well aware of all the ways in which he's, you know, he, he cannot help being himself. And right. It's going right. to lead, lead to disaster. And, and it does at the end. And that's one of the things that I really, at the very end, what well, there's, there's a point where Simone, they're, they're waiting for the Metro and she just turns to, to Bester and goes, let's run away. Let's just, Go see the world. Let's go do things. And and Bester is kind of confused by this, but he's feeling, you know, like maybe he's finally found a relationship where he can at least find comfort and companionship, if nothing else. So he's he's you know he's like, well, no, you know, maybe this is where I should just remain and, and try to live out my days. Right. And uh, and of course, you know, at the end, as as Garibaldi is closing in on him, and the authorities are closing in on him, uh, he realizes, nope, you know what? The only I've got to be Alfred Bester if I'm going to survive. And he takes Simone, and you know, says, "I'm sorry," but basically mm-hmm. empties her mind, goes through telepathically, and clips out all the memories of him in one last gesture of trying to protect her in a way and then goes upstairs to look at the painting that she had been painting of him a portrait and looks at the painting and realizes that she knew all the time who he was right yeah and understood him better than anybody else and he had just destroyed all of that right right oh that that was like one of the most that that is that tragic hero not tragic hero because Bester's certainly not a hero, um, no. but it's a tragedy. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, it's sort of, I mean, it's it's revealing the the, the tragic flaw. I mean, the, there you the, go. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, after all of this time, you know, it's like no, he'd been been through the conflicts. You know, he'd proven himself. You know, for <laughs> for you know for for good or bad, and you know now now is the time when he could have just let it go and laid low and lived out his days happily, even though I'm sure some, you know, all the people after him would not have been happy, but, um, right. You know, that, that was available to him, but then he, he just couldn't do it. Yep. There's, there's one final chase through Paris, uh, where Garibaldi gets close and Bester manages to trick him. Um, you know, and I mean, just one thing about that and that, I mean, that, that was sort of to me the culmination of, you know, I mean, it sort of started, you know, there was a little bit of it, you know, at the beginning of the book with him manipulating the the agents and, uh, you know, and implanting those things, um, which is sort of the, you know, the, the, the culmination of the stuff that was actually was built up in the second book, you know, where you, where you start learning more about what telepaths abilities are and you know what they're capable of doing and implanting in people and making people literally think yeah i mean and that that whole sequence where you know he's breaking into apartments and controlling people and you know it just gave you a a fabulous sense of 
you know, the, the, you know, the, the true powers of a P-12. Right. Um, Especially with someone as callous as uh, Bester. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because there, there's, uh, I mean, there, there are these books, and there's also the the only other books that I've read that are similar in terms of dealing with telepathy are Julian May's Saga Pliocene Exile and Intervention books, where she's also speculating about a world where tele, you know, where telepaths appear in very, very different circumstances, but uh, some some of some of the descriptions in there of you know how telepathy works both you know for for good and evil um, right. you know are, are very similar to what's going on here and uh, you know it's just it's just wonderfully done stuff I mean it's you know it's use the cliche I mean you're you're, you're really getting inside his head <laughs> <laughs> right well at the end of course when Garibaldi gets finally gets bester he's got his PPG up against Bester's head and says, you know, I'd love to blow you away for everything that you've done to me, but, you know, there are yeah. millions who have mm-hmm. suffered at your hands, and I cannot deny them their opportunity for justice yeah. just to satisfy my own need, and mm-hmm. you know, turns them over yeah, to the authorities. So, yeah, so, so, so that he can go on trial. yeah right right he might have wished he pulled the trigger (laughs) Uh, yeah and and that was the thing and 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 bester on trial you know he at that point you know he's just the bester of old he's unapologetic for what he's done i'm not a criminal you know i did Mm -hmm. what i did because we were at war yeah Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean that, I mean that final scene. I just, you know, it was almost well, virtually. The, I mean, it's the final major scene. You know, when 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 he's giving his testimony. I mean, when I was reading that, and it was, I mean, a, you know, again, I mean, it was pitch perfect for Bester, and uh, you know, and yeah, just the point of him him saying, you know, like no, you know, most of these things you accuse me of, when I was doing them, it was under the sanction of the government. You know, I yeah. Was, you know, I was doing my job, you know, and now you've decided, you know, no, we we lost, so you're, you know, you're, you're going to put me on trial for them, and and reading that, it was just like, you know, oh yeah, this is exactly the way it would play out. Yes, precisely. <laughs> and not to mention, right now, with Walter Koenig being just about the same age, and as you say, Bester seems elderly. It's like, you know, I I would love to see him. <laughs> I, you know, I'd love to hear. If- Walter read that yeah. that monologue. That would be exactly. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, it's like you know, I've accepted the fact that no, we're not, you know, we're not going to see the movie, you know, but you know, no, if we could just do like, you know a little, you know, a little audio drama of you know the trial of Alfred Bester or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, that would be really cool. Um, Bester lives out his days. You know, he's writing his memoirs. Just got word from the chat room from Arkle that there's a crusade reference. Best reviews a book about the Excalibur and her mission. Bester finally dies again. I, I did like the symmetry of Bester dying on the same day that Sheridan apparently dies. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, because it's some. Yeah, and and of course, you know, Bester. Bester also is that that one individual. He's, he knows. The things that Sheridan did. That while he's right. a hero, you know, if Sheridan wasn't a hero, he'd be excoriated for. 
Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and the irony of that is not lost on on Bester. Um, and then, of course, the the whole thing ends with uh, the burial of, of Alfred Bester and um, Michael Garibaldi leaving a wooden stake yes. in the grave of Bester, which just to make just to make sure, yeah, just to make sure, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I, you know, and and I liked it. The other thing that's different from the other two trilogies, especially, is that there is a there's a finality to these stories. You know, there's oh, yeah. the arc that flows. There is no like like with the Technomage trilogy. Now, part of it is you know that you know this is the Technomage trilogy ends before Crusade begins, um, but there's a sense that. You know, Galen is watching across the galaxy to see if there is ever going to be need for the power of the Technomages again. Um, obviously, right. with the Centauri Prime trilogy, what comes next? Well, it's the the reign of of Emperor Veer, and mm-hmm. more stories. This is this is the end. You know, with with the passing of Alfred Bester, a, a an epic comes to end. Yep. Oh yeah, no, and uh, and also, I mean, it just makes sense because I mean, it was the you know Bester's end, and of course, you know, everything he had uh, fought for has ended too. You know, so no, I mean, there is you know the the the, on, the ongoing adventures of the the new telepath authority, but uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, he he his age, you know, his age is over, his side lost, so. You know, yeah, yeah. You know, as, as you said, I mean, between him and Sheridan, I think it was even reference to this, and I can't precisely remember, but uh, you know, yeah, I mean, this whole thing, of, you know, the, the loser becomes the war criminal, the winner becomes the hero. So. Yeah, yeah, good stuff. It is. It's it's my favorite of the trilogies. I think, in terms of characterization, um, uh, Keys nails it with with Bester more than any of the other trilogies. I can really hear. Walter Koenig mm-hmm. saying those lines. I think from an emotional standpoint, I also think it hits nothing but high notes. Um, you know, like I, like I said earlier, I think the only, the biggest problem, if you want to call it a problem, is that the first book tries to pack a lot of stuff in into one book, and that could easily have been a trilogy on its own. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, or as I say, you know, or, or or at least spilled over into the second if he structured that a bit differently. But, yeah, but aside from yes, my obviously obvious affinity for the material, um, <laughs> and I think this is my favorite as well. And you know, but but the key, I'll say, you know, the the indicator of that is that you know, no, I actually went out and sought out Greg Key's other books after I read this. Um, I have not done that. Actually, I don't think I've done, I haven't done that at all with Gene Cavellos and Peter David. So, <laughs> and that, that was uh, Key's other work then. Yeah, um, it's it's good. I mean, there was uh, there was uh, there was another trilogy he did um, called. Uh, I'm trying to remember the overall title, but it but it, it was basically it was like an alternate history where. It's the story of Newton and the American Revolution. If alchemy would actually been true. Oh, <laughs> interesting. Newton, 
Newton's Hammer, I think, was the first one, and uh, in that one, you know, in that, you know, in that, that one grabbed me as well. The third book started to get a little too mystical, spiritual for my tastes. You know, I was the, uh, gotcha. the way he was sort of trying to, you know, he was sort of sort of keeping that line between, you know, is this, you know, is is this magic? Is this science? In the first few books, and then he kind of veered off into, you know, no, these really are angels in the third book. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Cool, or cool. spirits, all right. Or, you know, from, from some right. somewhere. So. <laughs> gotcha. Understood. All right. Any other comments on that on uh, Psychor trilogy? Well, just uh, there's that great big gaping hole in the middle that still needs to be filled. <laughs> but I know you've been touching on that and all the other ancillary. <laughs> hey, the, I like the idea of a radio play. That would be. That would be pretty awesome, especially if you know, yeah. Walter Koenig was doing it. Yes, definitely. Yep. Yep. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we take a quick break, and then we'll come back. I've got uh, I've got a little something to share, and then we'll go ahead and uh, and cl- wrap it up. Covering all the news throughout time and space, this is the Multiverse News. Hello and welcome to the news. In an exclusive, we now have confirmation that Lady Gaga will indeed appear on Doctor Who next season. Our team has been able to get a small preview of the episode titled Dance of the Daleks. Let's listen. We want to show him what a hard race we can be. A little killing can be fun, come watch and see. This should be real easy since he never has a gun. And maybe when it's over we can finally have some fun. We'll take a shot, show him what we've got. We'll take a shot, show him what we've got. He can't have, he can't have, no, he can't have another face. He'll get no brand new body. He can't have, he can't have, no, he can't have another face. He'll get no brand new body. Exterminate, 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 exterminate. And those are your headlines. We now return you back to the Draco Vista Studios. Okay, and we're back to kind of wrap this up. I just wanted to share this with everyone. Um, Gary from Jacksonville was very, very thoughtful to send a gift to me from Dragon Con from a couple weeks ago. One of the things was apparently the little placard that was set up in front of Mira Furlan at the table for the panel. It has her name <laughs> on the front and the Dragon Con logo. The back it says Smile Yarn Dragon Con TV. Um, right. the panel between the candle and the star, Babylon 5's Bruce Boxleitner and Mira Furlan. So that was, I mean, that was very thoughtful. The other thing is. Now, if you recall Gary's recounting of 
talking with Bruce and Mira and asking the question and how he got very nervous during the panel. Okay. Well, what Gary sent to me is a lovely 8x10 glossy color photo of Bruce Boxleitner in Army of Light uniform. It's a great shot. It's autographed. And it says on here, To Tim, the Day of the Dead is a great episode. <laughs> Bruce Boxleitner. <laughs> you know, I mean, you get all fanboy nervous when you're standing up in a room full of people to ask him a question and they're 20 feet away. Now, you have to get up to this gentleman's face and say, hey, can you write this, please? What? What? <laughs> well... Having gotten an autograph from Bruce myself, I can just tell you he's he's much easier to talk to up close and personal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, Bruce, really, did you have to? <laughs> oh, anyways, no, it's a wonderful thing, and it's very very funny. And when I um, uh, return, when when my exile is over, it will be framed and put in a place of honor. Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Remember. Tim, it's only chalk. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It is only... No, it's magic chalk. Oh, don't even get me started. Got me started. Thanks. Thanks. You know, on another t- on, a, on a similar tangent, Neil Gaiman is writing another Doctor Who episode for this upcoming season. That's funny. That's just that's what I was just about to distract you with. <laughs> oh! <laughs> I don't know anything about it. I don't know what the plot is going to be or the title, but I am looking forward to it. Yeah, we don't need to know anything about it after the other ones. <laughs> and I really loved the uh, the Doctor Who. I thought that was an excellent Doctor Who episode. And I think, I, as I said at the time, I think Gaiman's writing is well-suited to a show like Do- Doctor Who. Yep. No, definitely. Which, um, if if you haven't been watching... Uh, the beginning of this new season is rollicking good fun. Highly Definitely. recommend. Yes, and uh, yes, ha- having that little glimpse of the new companion is helping us get over our Im- Im- impending sense of doom that the pawns are soon not to be with us. <laughs> In some fashion, yes. Yes, and dinosaurs on a spaceship. Yes, Loved that you it. can Anyways. ride. <laughs> yes, of course. Ah, uh, anyways, anything else, guys? I Nothing guess. Babylon Five related. Okay, fair enough. All right. Well, at this point, this is where Summer gets to go back to an old episode and cut and paste her little spiel about how to get in touch with us, including the email babylonpodcast at gmail dot com, our website babylonpodcast dot com, where you can leave comments about the various episodes and postings that we have going on there. And, of course, you can contribute to an impending feedback of Palooza. Yes, they're mounting up. Jeremy, get ready. They're going to be coming soon. Um, And you can call us on our voicemail line. That's 206-338-2259. That's 206-338-2259. The year Alfred Bester made us forget about everything. (laughs) very nice and we'll see you and hopefully summer next time on the other side of the gate